have Brother Dale back with us this week. We're thankful for that. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. And I want you to think about your favorite Bible promise right now. And I want you to meditate on that as you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And then turn that into a prayer to the Lord. Thank Him for that promise. Claim that promise. Maybe you haven't really stood on that promise in a long time. Just take a moment now just to think about how God has promised you so many things and how He is faithful to keep His promises. Think on it. Pray on it. Think on it. Pray on it. Now let that bleed over into what's burdening your heart this morning. God has promised this over here. And what does that mean about your problems for everyday life? What does that mean about your burdens for your family? What does that mean and say about the needs that you have in your life? What does that say about your salvation and eternal destiny? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call upon him if you're lost. He'll save you. Claim those promises. Father, when we think about the promises of God, help us to remember the greatest promise of all is the Lord Jesus Christ. From the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned, you said to uh, the serpent that the seed of woman is going to one day crush your head. And that's a reference to the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the promise that we had, the greatest promise of all, is the promise of a Messiah, the one who would take our sins and bear them on the cross and pay for them in full and rise from the dead and be seated by the right hand of God the Father as Lord of all. And if you would meet that promise, Lord, after all of those thousands and thousands of years from the time you promised it to the time it was fulfilled, then you'll meet every need that we have. You'll take care of your children. You will do a great work in our lives and uh, do things in us that we're not even aware of right now. But one day we'll look back and we'll go, those were the greatest years of my life. And we thank you, Lord, that you're always at work in the lives of your people. And there are times when you feel like you're distant, but you're not really. And there are times when it seems like that you're not hearing our prayers, but that's not true either. You hear us. And we thank you that we can trust you to fulfill everything that we are needful of. And it'll be done in your good time. And so in the meantime, we rest and we trust and we give you praise and glory and honor because we know you are always at work. Work, Lord, in the lives of those who are grieving and give them comfort. Work in the lives of those who are sick and bring them healing. Work in the lives of those who are struggling in their family and give them relief. Work in the lives of those who are struggling in their marriage and give them health and holiness and happiness. Work in the lives of those who are struggling economically and give them a raise or give them a new job or give them the training that they need or the open doors that they need and please work in the lives of those who are burdened for lost people and please Lord you're mighty to save and I pray that you would save lost people and give the assurance 
that you are with us and that faith is the victory that overcomes the world, the Bible says. And may we be the faithful believers that walk in victory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning. And while you're doing that, breathe a word of thanks to God for His inerrant, infallible word. And for a country where we have the freedom to stop and open our Bibles, proclaim the word of God without any fear today. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And pray for our nation. And we're in Exodus chapter 33. We've gone through the golden calf fiasco. We have had Moses come down from the mountain and uh, break the tablets. Now we're at the point to where the people have shown remorse and repentance, but God has still said, you don't want me right in the midst of your camp, because if that were to happen, I would consume all of you. It's a fearful thing, the Bible says, to fall in the hands of a living God. And uh, in this passage in the Old Testament, the Lord himself mentions all of that. And so we find them as they are doing something very interesting here, at least it is to me, uh, that there's a tent that's being set up and it's not the tabernacle. I know that uh, in some translations it's called the tabernacle, but please keep in mind the word tabernacle is not necessarily a religious term. Tabernacle just meant a tent. And it also meant to visit, to Come see somebody. Remember, they were nomadic people back in these days. And so somebody might come. Your uncle John from Ur of the Chaldees comes to see you. He brings his tent. He sets up his tent and he tabernacles with you for a while. We're talking here not about the religious tabernacle that hadn't been built yet. Not going to find that for a little while. The instruction's been given, but it hasn't been built. But I want you to notice this is going to say... Um, in the translation that I use, New King James, that Moses pitched his tent, and that's called a tabernacle because indeed it was. It was Moses. But he puts it somewhere uh, very importantly. He puts it outside of the camp, and then something happens whenever he goes there, and there's a name that he gives to that tent. And so pay attention to that as we read in verse 7 of Exodus 33. And it says, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. You know, in uh, particularly the Old Testament, when they repeat something, you ought to pay attention to it. And that's the second time we've read outside the camp. Must mean something. Verse uh, 8. So it was, whenever Moses went out, there it is again, to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass... When Moses entered the tabernacle, that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the 
tabernacle, Moses' tent, and the Lord talked with Moses. Verse 10. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped, each man in his tent door. Verse 11. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, that doesn't mean he was an orphan, by the way, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. What a strange place to end that particular paragraph. Moses is back out to the people, with the people, and Joshua is staying behind. Wonder what is going on. Well, we're going to divide this up today, and we're going to talk about there's an enigma here, a riddle, a mystery that we need to think about. And uh, we want to talk about that first. What is the mystery and the riddle? And here it is. Here's what at least came to my mind. You might have been thinking the same thing. How does an omnipresent God, a God who is everywhere, ever withdraw his presence? We look at that and we go, well, that's a head scratcher. Because if he withdraws his presence, is he no longer omnipresent? Is he no longer everywhere? Did the Bible make a mistake? Did they use the wrong words? Did somebody mess up? somewhere on all of this and so we have kind of what I would call an enigma here we have a little bit of a problem that we kind of have to deal with and that we have to think about now this cloud of glory um, we've seen this before it was connected first with guidance the pillar of cloud in Exodus 13 would guide them and that's what led them to the Red Sea and that type of thing and then we find it concerned with protection in Exodus chapter 14, verse 19 and 20. The cloud got between Israel and the Egyptians at the Red Sea when the Egyptian army was coming after them. And now it is uh, connected with the idea of communication. Moses goes out to the tent of meeting and the cloud comes and everybody could see it. And they knew that Moses was talking to God and he talked to God as one talks to a friend. And God would, of course, speak to him. And so when we think about this enigma, God is everywhere. And yet he says that he is separate. He says that he wouldn't be among the people. How in the world do you do that? And that's why the tent was pitched outside of the camp, far outside the camp, it said. And... Um, so that's where Moses would meet with the Lord. Well, I want you to think about what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. In other words, whenever there's a distance or a separation between us and God, mark it down, we're wrong. Mark it down, we have sinned. There's a reason 
for that situation. God is not ever diminished. He is not ever incapacitated, we might say. This is always on our side. And so that's what's going on with Israel. The people of Israel are not experiencing fellowship with God. Well, Moses is, and Joshua is, but the rest of the people are not, and that is on them. They're the ones that made the golden calf. They are the ones that bowed before it. And uh, I want you to think about something. If God is indeed everywhere, and he is, in Psalm 139, it says, Where shall I go? from your spirit, and then it lists, as we heard read earlier, all of the places where God is, because he indeed is everywhere. And sometimes when we think about God's presence, it's a very comforting thing. We think about the prophecy about Jesus, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, and Matthew quotes that verse and says, they called his name Emmanuel, which interpreted is God with us. And that was not anything but a positive, comforting, wonderful thing. David said it in Psalm 23, that famous and wonderful, comforting psalm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Isn't that wonderful? It's a glorious and blessed thing that the Lord doesn't forsake his people, the Bible says, and uh, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 12, 22, the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake. And so uh, when we think about the presence of the Lord, comforting presence of the Lord, we pray, Lord, while we worship this morning, we pray that we would feel and acknowledge your presence. I pray that as I walk through the storms of life, I would know and feel your presence. It's a comforting thing. And there are some times where you think about those times you crawl into bed on a cold, stormy night and you pull those blankets up around you, how comforting that is. In fact, they call some of them a comforter. And you think about the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. He is also called the comforter. And you think about the presence of the Lord being such a comfort to you, but let's also acknowledge God's presence can be terrifying. Terrifying. If you had a full understanding of the presence of the Lord when you are sinning, when you are rebelling against the Lord, when you think you're alone, if God were to manifest his presence, it would be absolutely terrifying. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, that was the first response Adam had after his sin. I heard the sound of you in the garden, Adam says, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. The presence of God was not comforting. It was terrifying to Adam to the point that he did something he had never done before, and that is to hide from God. Even Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, I saw the Lord high and lifted up his train, filled the temple. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Isaiah didn't think so. He goes, woe is me, for I have seen the Lord. And everything is shaking, and there's loud noises, and he is absolutely terrified in Isaiah 6. Woe is me, for I am lost for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Terrifying. You say, well, that was Old Testament. Well, let me give you a New Testament one. John, 
the beloved disciple, the John, not Judas, not any of those other ones that we've never heard of. This is John, the one who is called the beloved disciple, the closest one to Jesus. In Revelation 1.17 says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Why? The overwhelming holiness in the presence of God is terrifying when you compare yourselves to him. Even the apostle Peter when he met Jesus, he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of humans like us is a terrifying thing. God's presence is a comfort, and God's presence can also be terrifying. So how is it that God withdraws his presence if he's everywhere at once? Does he cease to be omniscient or... Is the Bible telling us something that is not true? Well, let's put it this way. God's presence as a blessing can be withdrawn. I think about Jesus in Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Ali, Ali, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want to ask you a question. Had the Lord withdrawn from Jesus or was he right there at the cross well you read Isaiah chapter 53 it says that the father was taking an active part in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ for it pleased the father to bruise him and he the father has laid on him Christ the iniquity of us all so God was not distant God had not withdrawn into the heavens. He's still an omnipresent God. But I want to tell you something. The presence of God in the life of Jesus on the cross was not a blessing. In fact, the Bible says he was made accursed for us while he was on the cross. The blessing of the presence of God is what was withdrawn from the Lord. And that's what Israel was experiencing with the tent of meeting being outside the camp. It was no longer God in the blessed comfort of his presence meeting with the people in there because of their sin, but it being outside the camp afar off. And no longer was it something that the average person would experience. The cloud of glory fell at the tent of meeting, not inside the camp. And it was a constant reminder of several things. Consider this, the tent of meeting being outside of the camp. It was to visualize God's hatred for their rejection of him. Can you imagine these people after all God had done for them, delivering them from Egypt and taking them through the Red Sea and after all their affirmation to him, all that the Lord says we will do. Then the next thing you know, they're bowing down before an idol and they're saying, Behold, the Lord God who took you out of the land of Egypt. Just blasphemous. And it reminds us that there are certain things that God hates all sin. Let's get that clear. He hates all sin, but not all sin is the same. There are some that are called abominations. And there are some sins that God just will not tolerate and idolatry certainly was one of them. And God said, I'm going to give you a visual so that you never forget it. And I'm going to have this visual recorded 
in the Word of God. Did any of you besides me miss Brother Carl Kerrigan? Do you remember his, as he called them, his visuals? Tear up a newspaper and then put it back together and do those kind of things? Visuals. God is saying, I'm going to give you, in the words of Carl Kerrigan, a visual. And what is that visual going to be? The tent where you meet with me is not in here among you. It's out there. And the manifested presence of God is going to be when Moses goes out there, the glory cloud, not in the tent, not in the camp, pardon me, but out there at the tent. And you're going to see it and you're going to understand how displeased I am with your sin to visualize God's hatred for their sin. But also to make the consequences of sin real. You know, you've heard the expression, easy come, easy go. And if there's no real consequence to sin, then what do we do? We sin even more. We say, I got away with it. Must not be that big a deal. God wanted the children of Israel to know this is a big deal. And while you are forgiven, consequences linger because God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap, which is a good time to ask the question, what have you sown this past week since the last time we gathered? You're going to reap from that, and it was either sowing good or sowing evil, and you're going to reap that harvest. And God wanted them to see the consequences of their sin, that they are real, and to show also that righteousness that forgiveness and all of that does not come from you. It comes from outside of you. And so outside the camp is where the restoration would be. Outside of the camp is where the forgiveness is. Outside of the camp is where the power is. Outside of the camp is where the righteousness is. And it reminds us that as sinners, we don't come and say, Oh, my life is so messed up. I must look within myself to figure out what to do. That's the big word today. You're enough and you've got it within you. May I just say very lovingly and firmly, you are not enough. You are holy and totally inadequate and you are depraved and there is nothing good inside of you that is your flesh. The Apostle Paul made that very clear. The only righteousness we have is outside of us and that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. The only salvation we have is outside of us on a cross 2,000 years ago where Jesus bore the wrath of God in our place. And God is firmly affixing in their mind, I hate what you've done even though I've forgiven you, I still hate it. Can we hear that word today? Our God has forgiven us our sin and yet he still hates our sin. Oh, that we would hate our sin as much as God does. Can we still get the visual that as much as we are forgiven, yet we reap what we sow, consequences remain. It's far better never to do the sin than to do it, get forgiveness, and still reap the consequences. And thirdly, can we understand today that the answers and the power and the forgiveness never lies within our humanity. It never lies within us. The only hope we have is God in us. The only hope we have is the God that comes to us, that invades our lives, that changes our lives, that inhabits our lives. 
That's the only hope that we have. And so we see the enigma. Did God cease to be omnipresent? No, not at all. But he withdrew the blessing of his presence like he will do with you and like he will do with me because of our sin. And so put those things in your mind and let them have an effect upon your life because that indeed is point number two, the effect. What happened to these people? Were they sorry for their sin? Yes, and they should be. Sometimes people will say, oh, I feel so bad about my sin. Well, that's no big deal. You should feel bad about your sin. What do you think is going to happen? You've got to feel bad about it. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. And there was an effect here. And what happened? The people saw and they respected God's messenger. Why is that a big deal? These are the same people that came to Aaron... Moses' very own brother. And I see that as a problem on both sides. How in the world could Aaron do this? You are Moses' brother sent to help him. What are you thinking, Aaron? But I see it on the other side. What arrogance that the people have to come to one of Moses' own family members. Why would you do that to somebody you loved? Why would you put Aaron in the place of having to choose between right and wrong, Moses and you. Why would you put him in that place at all? It wasn't a very loving thing to do, was it? Not at all. So they disrespected Moses, the man of God. And they also said this, build us gods that will lead us and that we can worship. As for this Moses, you remember that? As for, uh, what was his name? Moses, yeah, yeah. As for him. You know, uh, one of the hazards of ministering to people, leading people, is they all have this thing of, what have you done for me lately? And they forget about the times in the past. They forget about the Moses who confronted Pharaoh on their behalf. They forget about the Moses who told them what to do so that the death angel would not strike their homes. They forgot about the Moses that led them to the Red Sea. They forgot about the Moses that held up his rod so that they would have victory over the Amalekites. They forgot about the Moses who stretched out his rod and the sea was parted. They forgot about the Moses who brought them the word of God orally before it was written down. They forgot about all of that. And they said, uh, make us a God that we can see. Make us a God we can follow, Aaron. For as for uh, this, uh, this Moses guy, we don't know what's become of him. I mean, after all, he's been gone for a whole 40 days, right? Well, now we find in this passage a different thing. Moses is going out to meet with God. And as he walks with Joshua, the people come out of their tents and they stand. The people come out of their tents and they stand. And I picture it almost in a military fashion that they stand at attention. They stand maybe even giving some type of salute as Moses is going out. They are recognizing Moses as the God-called man who meets with God. And they have a measure 
of respect for that. And they are showing their respect for the man of God as he goes out to meet with the Lord. That's a big change from the guy that they, you know, they had trouble thinking of his name. You know, this, this, this Moses. Yeah, that's it. As before. Now everything has changed as Moses goes out to the tent of meeting. Now these people in their forgetfulness and their casual reference toward Moses and all of that, that's because they did the supreme sin. They forgot God when they made that golden calf. They acted as if they really didn't know Moses as he really wasn't all that significant in their lives. I mean, after all, you know, Moses has some good things to say whenever we meet together, but what does that have to do with our everyday lives? Much like people do with church and sermons now. Get it over with. What does that really have to do with my life when we ought to be taking it seriously? So they acted though, you know, we don't really know him. And then they neglected God's word they had been told what the commandments were even before they were written down, remember? And they just completely ignored what God had to say. And because of that, they fell into deep sin. And now, now we find that things have changed. God has spoken. God has disciplined. And everything has changed. The golden calf is destroyed. The instigators of that have been killed. And it's time for something new. And the newness is going to come only from outside the camp, from the God who is outside of us. And Moses, the mediator, is going once again to go meet with God. And they respected that. And they watched as Moses went out there. Maybe with a degree of thank God for Moses. Maybe with a degree of pride. I'm glad we have Moses as our leader Maybe with a little bit of envy. I wonder what it's like to be able to meet with God like he meets with God. Because the Bible makes a big deal about the fact that God spoke to Moses. And God didn't just speak to Moses by thundering out of the heavens. He spoke face to face. And not in a confrontive way. But as one would speak with a friend. And the people of Israel had no idea what that was like. And there they were watching and respecting, but yet there was a difference and there was a distance that was going on between them. They have interest and they have respect, but it's from afar. It's from a distance. The presence of God was undeniable, but it was certainly not joyful. You don't find any of these people standing at the door of their tents rejoicing, do you? Respectful? but not rejoicing. And there are a lot of people, and maybe I'm speaking to you today, you came to church this morning, and you respect what we do here, but you don't find any joy in it. And Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand is pleasure forevermore. Do you find pleasure in God? Do you enjoy God? The old Westminster Catechism says, What is the chief end of man? And they're right. They say man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Are you enjoying God? Thirdly, 
I want you to think about this, the embarrassment. Because as these people were watching Moses, don't you know, as he went out to meet with God, they were reminded of their failure. They were reminded of what they had done. Why don't we get to meet with God in that same way? Because of the golden calf. Have you forgotten about the golden calf? And there are those times when sins of the past are brought up, sometimes by the enemy. Sometimes they're brought up in our own mind to teach us, don't ever go back there. You don't ever want to long for that. You don't ever want to look back with fond memories of those days. Those are days to be shunned. Those are days to be remembered with shame. Those are days to forsake. Those are to propel us on to a greater victory and a new walk with God. And so there might have been some embarrassment as they thought about the blessing that they had forfeited because of their sin. And it may be that you look today at somebody and you look, oh, they are a true saint of God. Oh, why don't you be like them? Oh, I could never be like them. Why not? And then you'll bring up something that's in your past. Some wound, some scar, some hurt, some betrayal, some wickedness that is in your own life. And you don't see the cleansing power of the blood of the Lamb that cleanses. And you're embarrassed by what happened before. Well, that's probably what was happening here as each man stood in the door of his own tent. God was not gone, and his presence was certainly evident. He was with them, but they were not participators in all of this. Don't you get tired of not being a participator? Somebody shares about an answered prayer. Don't you get tired of not being able to participate in that? Someone else has a fruitful life. Don't you get tired of just watching and not participating? Someone else is learning the word of God. Don't you get tired of not participating in that? Well, again, we reap what we sow. And I found that most people, they want a secret. Somebody has a sermon, the secret of the Christian life. And oh, we want to find out the secret I heard one guy say, I've got several books that talk about the secret to getting rich in the stock market, the secret to a great, a great golf game. And he said, and you can look at National Enquirer while you're at the checkout stand. Don't buy it. But as you're looking at it, the secret of the stars, the secret of the diet by a certain doctor, the secret. We're all intrigued because to us, a secret means it's not hard work. It's not diligence. It's not focused intensity over time that yields good results. There's a secret somewhere that everybody else knows but you. Or that the in people, the cool people know but you. There's a secret. And if I could, if I could just find the secret, then poof, everything would be good. Only to read the golf book and you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to go to the driving range every day for the rest of your life. That's the secret to good golf. You know what the diet secret the doctor said? Eat less, exercise more. Isn't that it? Bottom line. And all of these things come on as though there was some kind of a poof. And we even look at other believers. What is the secret to being a good husband or good wife? What is the secret to getting prayers answered? Well, it's no secret, folks. 
It's faithfulness to God and obedience to his word. Loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, Jesus said, and loving your neighbor as you love yourself. There's no secret to it. And you've got to kill the flesh. You've got to fight the enemy. You've got to put on your warfare. You've got to walk through the valleys. And you've got to learn how to become skilled at using the weapons that God has given you. And that takes focused intensity over time. There you go. There's the secret. Somebody said that the secret to overnight success is 20 years of hard work. That's about the way it is, isn't it? And so we look at this and we realize God's not gone. His presence is evident, but they're not participating in it. And they were just simply bystanders. Are you a bystander today? God has riches to pour out on your life. God has blessings to pour out on your life. Our God is a powerful, awesome God. And in his presence is the fullness of joy. But so many are just bystanders today. They look in on it, but they're not there participating in it. I want you to be a participator in all of this. I want us all to be closer to the Lord and to find joy in Him. And so that leads us to the last point, and this message would mean nothing without this point, the empathy of God. Here's a God who empathizes with you, who sees you, who loves you, who is teaching you, who has a purpose in your valleys and in the distance that he creates between you and the blessings of God. He gives his message and he delivers his message to you. When you find here that the Lord is speaking to Moses face to face, oh, well, good for you, Moses. Great. Moses is going to brag about God speaking to him again. No. That wasn't the purpose. God was giving Moses a message so Moses could take it out of the tent of meeting and bring it back to the people. Why? Because God still had a purpose for these people and he still had a message for the people. And may I say to you, God is still working out his purpose in you. And he has a message for you as well through his holy and inerrant word. And so Moses gets this word from God and then he leaves. And he goes back out among the people and the only thing that we can surmise is he goes telling the people in the camp what God told him outside of the camp. He's preaching. He's preaching. He's sharing. He's telling, whatever, whatever you want to say there, he's taking the word of God to the people. God has something to say to his people, always. Except that he leaves somebody behind. Joshua is left behind in the tent of meeting. I wonder what in the world he's doing. Well, when you think about it, you find Moses here, that he's in fellowship with God. That's the most important thing. You find that Moses is also in fellowship with the people. He's going back to them and giving that message to them. And he's also in fellowship with Joshua. They're working together in a tandem. 
They're working together as a team. Yes, I know Joshua's going to take over, but he's still, the Bible says here, he's a young man. The idea is he's not mature enough to take over for Moses, not mature enough to carry Moses' sandals here. He's learning. He's growing, and yet he is partnered with Moses. And you think about this, how empathetic is God toward us even after our sin? Enough to give us a message. Enough to make sure that the message is delivered to us, in this case by Moses, to be shared with the people. And also, the message is undergirded by Joshua. What was he doing while Moses was working? I think he was praying. I think Joshua was there in the tent of meeting praying for Moses as Moses went out to deliver that word to the people. I want to invite you to get involved in prayer like never before because it's through prayer, whether it's somebody on the other side of the world, whether it's for the persecuted church, whether it's for me, whether it is for Isaac or for Dale, whether it is for your Sunday school teacher, wherever it may be, that involves you in the work like Joshua was involved in Moses' work. And I also want to tell you, those of you who are newer to our church, you can join a ministry that we call, based on these passages, the Joshua Ministry. Because while I preach, there is someone that is assigned to pray for me or anybody else who occupies this pulpit. And what are they doing? They're on their face. They've got a TV monitor in there where they can see and watch the service. They can listen to the message. They've got a notebook where they can take notes. And they can tell those times, Oh Lord, he's stumbling a lot. He's not very clear. Help him to have a clear mind so that he can preach to the people. Oh Lord, I sense a disinterest in the people. Forgive us and cleanse us and arrest the minds of the people to hear the truth of the word of God. They may sense a battle of the enemy and they begin to practice warfare. They may sense that there's a lot of hurt in the congregation and they ask God to overcome that and they spend that hour back there praying. And it's called the Joshua ministry because Joshua stayed behind to pray for Moses as Moses took the message out. And God makes note of it here because in the mind of God, it's not just those who go down the well that are important. It's also those who hold the rope. And Joshua is holding the rope as Moses, in a sense, goes down into the well. Moses is going back to people that have forgotten God and forgotten him in the past and worshipped idols. How is the message going to be received today? What is God going to say? Will they understand it? Will they get it? And I can just picture Moses, pardon me, Joshua, on his knees praying for his friend Moses as Moses delivers the message. I want to invite you to join this ministry. All you have to do is to see Miss Nina Hanna. She does such a good job of organizing it and making sure that it's staffed. But she can always use more. And join up. You don't have to do it every week. But every few weeks you'll get an assignment for a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, or a Wednesday night. And you have the opportunity to pray. And God will bless that. And God will reward that because 
Somehow we've got to get it through our minds. This is not a spectator sport. We are all in this together for the glory of God. To be salt and light in a decaying and dark world. To honor the Lord Jesus. To bring men, women, boys and girls to the cross that they might repent of their sins and put their full trust in Jesus Christ. To help baby Christians grow up. To snatch people out of the trouble and the traps that the enemy has laid for them. To fellowship with one another. To walk with one another through the hard times to be an agent of the grace of God to other people. And you know what it takes to do that? An awful lot of time and love and, yes, even prayer as we partner together and pray for one another. So I conclude by saying this. Pray. Pray more than you've prayed before. Pray for yourself. Pray by yourself. But also pray for other people more than you have before in your family, outside of your family, in your church, outside of your church. These are desperate, desperate times. And politics can't save us. Money can't save us. Relationships can't save us. The only hope that we have today is God. We need to be talking to Him. We need to be praying for our church Praying for our ministries. Praying for our nation. Praying for those who are persecuted all over the world. And God will honor and God will bless. And every time you join with somebody in prayer, whatever fruit is born through them is put on your account. What a great blessing that is. And that's why Paul, when he wrote to the Romans, he goes, I don't desire a gift. It's not about the gift. I desire fruit to your account. Oh, that we might be fruitful because Jesus said, Herein is the Father glorified that you bear much fruit and that your fruit should remain. How do you do that? Join Joshua at the tent, the tent of meeting, in prayer for the message and the messenger and for the people that will hear the message. And you will have fruit that will abound in your life. And so our prayer is today, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, why not today? Trust Him as your Lord and Savior, the full payment for your sin. Transfer your trust from yourself and your works and your religion and your goodness and transfer that to Christ. Call on His name and be born again. And if you are a Christian, how can you be further involved in ministries? You've only got so much time. You've only got so much money. You've only got so much ability. But oh, through prayer... You have an unlimited resource for fruitfulness. And you can become, instead of a bystander who respects it, a participator that is involved in the work for the glory of Almighty God. And right now you may say, ah, I don't know. Let me tell you something. If today you were to choose to step up into that involvement... When you get to heaven, you'll be eternally glad you did. It may not seem like it made much difference now, but let me uh, tell you there's coming a day when you're going to see 
just how much difference it made and how rewarded you will be. Fruit. We've got to be faithful in order to bear the fruit, which is the will of God and what glorifies God. Join with us. Please join with us for the glory of God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, as we think about everything that was going on in this passage, Moses could have just kind of been a glory hog, and he could have just had his time with you and enjoyed it, because in your presence is the fullness of joy, and he certainly had that. He and Joshua could have just stayed there and just had fellowship with you, but he didn't. He had his people that he loved, and he carried your message to the people that he loved and that you loved. And you were so kind and good as to give him a word. And I thank you that we have your Bible so that every week we have a word. Not my word, your word. And you speak to your children. You feed us when we're hungry. You encourage us. You strengthen us. You bless us. And we thank you so much for that. Now, Lord, may we join together to get the word out because we're diligent like Joshua to be in prayer as the word is proclaimed. May it be effective, first of all, in the fact that we have heard from you through your word and it's accurate. May it be effective because the people are like Joshua praying for the effectiveness of the word diligently. And may it be effective because we deliver it to people who desperately need to hear a word from you. And may we receive it and receive it gladly and act upon it. And do that all because of your love for us and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Brother Dale.